You're tuned into the Zealous Podcast. I'm your host, Rocky Snyder, and this week I've got Christoph Wies in the house. He was with the Anaheim Ducks, moved into the Carolina Hurricanes organization, but now, well, he's over in Salzburg, Austria, strength coach for Red Bull athletes. We're talking about extreme sports and what it's like to train these top professionals. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Rocky underscore Snyder, S-N-Y-D-E-R. Click the subscribe button, get your notepad out, and enjoy the show. Christoph, first off, thanks for coming back on the show. The last time you were here, you were with the Anaheim Ducks, but you have changed gears. In fact, I, I think you went with Bill Berniston and the Carolina Hurricanes, right? Were you with Bill, too? Yeah, um, so I saw Bill was on the podcast. Uh, first off, thanks a lot for having me, just to start um, having me back again. It's great to see you again. Uh, yeah, Bill is amazing. I did go to the Hurricanes for a bit. Um, I eventually went up to New uh, to Chicago to be their head of SNC for the AHL team up there. Um, and yeah, I guess transition into why we're talking now. While I was up there, um, I got a call from Red Bull regarding a position at their Athlete Performance Center here in Salzburg. Um, wow. and it's always been a goal of mine to come back to Europe. I was originally born in Switzerland, which I think we talked about last time. Um, yeah. so I have a lot of family here. And so I've always wanted to come back and work here. And so when this opportunity presented itself, I couldn't say no. So unfortunately I had to leave bill, which was hard to do as he's a great guy, but, uh, yeah, I couldn't pass this one up. Okay. So what, how did that happen? Do you have your name in some kind of talent pool that you just have <laughs> it circulating and then they they came and pulled your name out of it or how did Red Bull yeah. know you? So I was actually, I was here, I was in Switzerland for the summer and um, I always like to go visit places. Like I was over at the UFC Performance Institute. Um, when I was in Vegas, I always like to look at different facilities and, um, and performance centers. And so I saw this one here and I, you know, asked to drop by for a visit and we really hit it off while I was here. And then it just so happened that a couple months after that, they had an opening, um, for a position and they asked if I was interested and also a recommendation from my previous boss of the ducks kind of put me over the edge. <laughs> and so that wow. was, that kind of sealed the deal for me. Wow. That is so cool. Well, it was great uh, seeing you face to face actually for the first time, because we've been doing yeah. virtual here the last few years with the podcast, but to actually get to, to meet you in person at the NSCA national conference. And how was that? Just give me a, a summation of, was this your first time to a national conference? It was my first time at a national conference. So <laughs> I spoke to my boss about it. To be honest, I was a bit overwhelmed at first. Uh, you know, because really? you have all these, I mean, you have all these presentations, you have all these people that you want to see, you know, like yourself and other people that I've always spoke to online or over the phone, but never in person. And so I really wanted to, you know, get some FaceTime with you guys. And so it was at first just a bit overwhelming <laughs> with everything going on, but Overall, I really enjoyed it, um, took away some great things, saw some great presentations, and I'm really looking forward to go back and looking at the ones that I missed or wasn't able to catch the first time around. But yeah, I would definitely highly recommend it and I really enjoyed it. Right on. Okay. And then just a side note, you and I both got an amazing experience while we're in Vegas with Tomasz Kellerman, who, by the way, is going to be next week's guest in the awesome. lineup. And, and Tomash is one of the strength and conditioning coaches for Cirque du Soleil. He called us separately and, and invited us to go to the O show, which was phenomenal in itself. But after the show, uh, I went on Thursday night, you went the night before, and we got to go behind the scenes. I, I posted it on my Instagram, a little bit of some videos, but what was your take on it? I mean, you deal with extreme athletes these days. So this is perfect kind of segue to Red Bull in just a second but what was it like to see the show and then to see what they have behind the scenes yeah I thought the show was amazing I, I've seen Ka before at the MGM um, so yeah. I had some idea but I've always heard great things about oh and then when Thomas mentioned you know he could get his tickets and backstage I couldn't say no to that and so the show was great and then going backstage um, you know as you know just seeing all that and how it works was really cool it was definitely a highlight of the trip uh, for sure. And seeing, you know, what he does with his athletes is great. We've actually had some divers um, that he mentioned to us that were with Red Bull, um, Red Bull sponsored divers, and they're now working with him in the show. Um, so there's some carry over there, but no, I think the whole experience was amazing. 
Uh, very cool. Okay, so let's let's get right into Red Bull because before we hit the record button, you told me that they have over 200 athletes signed under Red Bull, and they are a wide array of mainly extreme athletes for the most part. But I, I know there are some that fall in uh, maybe the more tame end of the spectrum. But mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about guys jumping off of uh, off of <laughs> balloons that go into the upper atmosphere and go skydiving. <laughs> I'm thinking of a couple of of mountain bikers here in the Santa Cruz mountain bike uh, mountains that are are totally extreme. And of course, you've got big wave surfers. You've got a whole bunch. So, w- what what is it like where you are? and and what you do give us a rundown first of all of like your your day-to-day um what it, a day in the life of Christoph Beast. yeah I mean it's it's really something else here to be honest I mean it's we have like you said we have over Red Bull sponsors over 200 different sports um and that's on top of there they also have four soccer teams around the world they also have two hockey teams uh those are their team sports but then the other 200 sports are individual sports from anything from your typical skiing and snowboarding and mountain biking, as you mentioned, to breakdancing, e-games, uh, skydiving, anything like that. So we definitely get a wide variety of athletes coming through here. Um, and so how, how does that work? Like uh, today, what yeah. kind of athletes did, these are traveling through the area and they're just stopping off for the most part? Or do you have local athletes that train regularly with you unless they're on the road? How does it work? So so there's some athletes that live here locally, not too many. Uh, We do have some that live here and they're pretty much our regulars. But mostly what happens is we'll have performance athletes. We categorize our athletes in this two two sections. You either have a performance athlete or a rehab athlete. Performance athletes will come uh, for various testing that we're able to do here. They might have a specific project that they want to do and they need our help with. And then you have the rehab side of it where if these athletes get hurt, they can come here and do their rehab. And so essentially what happens is if you were an athlete and you came here, you get a whole team around you. You would get a physical therapist, you get a strength and conditioning coach, a sports scientist, nutritionist, mental performance. We have pretty much every department. It's pretty much... You know, in other sports, I've worked with a lot of different departments, but never to this extent. Um, and so you pretty much have a whole team that's focused on you during your stay here. And so that's why my athletes mix from rehab athletes to those performance athletes. And then to answer your question about what, what a day looks like for me, it's it really depends week to week. Today, I trained a skier in the morning, then two soccer players, and then a decathlete in the afternoon. Meanwhile, my coworker was training a uh, BMX rider and a soccer player. And it just really depends on the week. Okay. Now, is this something where you have to continually, obviously you're thinking on your feet at all times, but when it comes to program design, is there a, a folder or a virtual folder <laughs> or in paper where you get the information of this athlete, or do you just get a heads up like uh, a day or two before so-and-so is coming to town and, and they provide you with some information and insight as to what you need to do. Yeah, I mean, it, it has improved a lot. It, used, it sometimes still happens where someone might just show up on the doorstep. Now it's a lot more planned. Um, we have three great ladies here that do all of our scheduling. And so what'll happen is if an athlete is interested in coming, they'll reach out to them. Um, say if it's either, first we clarify if it's a performance or a rehab visit. And then depending on that, they'll deep dive into some questions that are relevant for us to make the proper program. For example, are they in season? Are they off season? Um, what does their training look like currently? Do they have any injuries if it's a performance, you know, any previous injuries, anything like that? So just relevant questions that we would have to know to make those programs. Uh, so then one, we know ahead of time that they're coming. Sometimes I'll get an athlete and I have no idea what sport it is. And you know, something I've never really seen before. Such as, like, give me an example, like what happened recently? One that comes to mind is just, uh, there was a, he was a professional obstacle course racer. So pretty much he does all the Spartan races and things like that, but professionally. Got it. Um, And so of course I know I've heard of these races before, but I've never trained it. I didn't know you could be a professional on that. And so that's just, that's just uh, the first example that comes to mind. But obviously when you have e-gamers, you know, the video game players, or you have a break dancer come in, 
you know, these are kind of like, okay, so what am I going to do? So, you know, I do think as a strength conditioning coach, we should be able to coach every sport realistically. Right. And so what I do is Red Bull has a great media hub with just videos and descriptions of all these different athletes and their sports. And so I'll hop on there and take a look at the sport, you know, observe what movements they're doing, what muscle actions are involved. And then I come up with a program based off of that. But I'm going to be very honest. It is pretty humbling because I'll go up to the athlete and say, Hey, look, you're the expert in your sport. So this is what I came up with when I am what I think, but what do you think as well? Um, because for most of the sports that we're used to, like hockey, where I was previously basketball, uh, football, you know, we have a pretty good idea at this point, what's required in the sport and what the trainings look like. But with some of these sports, it's not there yet. And so a lot of times you need to lean on the athlete and um, really use them as well to guide your programming to an extent. Yeah, I'm just thinking this is a fun party game when you get a whole bunch of strength coaches together around a table at night and you just dive into a bowl and you pull out some obscure sport. uh, (laughs) And and then they have to, on the fly, think of what kind of conditioning program to come up with based on a needs analysis. But that's what you're doing every day. I'm kind of jealous in that regard because it's just how much growth and, and learning an experience are you gaining from one day to the next, depending upon the athletes come in there? I mean, like you say, between the Hurricanes organization, the Ducks organization, your experience with basketball also, there's those are fairly standard programs that can mm-hmm. be tweaked a little here and there. But when you're talking about uh, an aerialist or a, a professional e-gamer, I mean, you're going to have to be really creative. Uh, yeah. Give me a sense of the e-gamer, I guess, because I'm, I side note here, I'm talking to this guy that used to be the head of US Space Force when it came to conditioning. And honestly, I'm thinking like, okay, astronauts, he's like, oh, no, no, Space Force. It's kind of like they they get the best e-gamers and they recruit them into Space Force because it's all about drones and and, um, sitting in front of a computer. So he, he was dealing with cholesterol, blood pressure, obesity, depression, all these things. W- what is it like with the e-gamers? Are you seeing yeah, the same things? Not, not in all of them, but sure, it comes up. Uh, I'd say the big thing with the e-gamers, the way I look at it, is they just need to move. Um, you know, they're just sedentary for so long, just playing the games. And so <laughs> I had a funny, um, I was actually training one of my skiers. And an e-gamer walked in and he's like, oh, what sport does he do? I said, oh, he, he plays FIFA. And the skier said, oh, like the video game? And I said, yeah. And so he said, what do you do, train his thumbs? And I said, no, like, to be honest, I, I have pretty much, it's just, the easy way to explain it is like pretty much just a regular general pop personal training program, you know, because these guys, like I said, they just need to move. Um, so it's not, I don't overthink it. I just have them do some basic movements in the gym. And with most of the athletes, it comes down to, at the end of the day, they're still pushing, pulling, squatting, hinging, doing core. Um, Sure, it varies depending on the sport to an extent, but those are going to be the main movements no matter what in your program. So I tend not to overthink it. You know, when we're first always starting out in this field, everybody says, you know, keep it simple. And it is definitely true where, you know, there's no point in overthinking and trying to reinvent the wheel, Um, and especially with the e-gamers. Yeah, I bet. Okay. So we both got to go into the physio's office behind Cirque du Soleil's Osho. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have two workout facilities, one more geared toward the gymnast with high bar, trampoline, foam pit, and whatnot. But then they had their own workout facility that included uh, weight machines, squat racks, kettlebells, uh, and the like. What? What's your toy box? What would look like? What would, you know, what's your playground look like? I wish I could show you what our building looks like um, because I think everybody that's come here was not expecting to see what they see when they get here. Most of the time, when you think of Red Bull, you're thinking of some big building, very unique design maybe, right? Yeah. We're actually in an old metal factory and farmhouse. Oh. And so 
from the outside, you'd never, when my dad brought me here the first time, he thought we were at the wrong place. <laughs> um, when you walk inside, it makes a lot more sense. It's all renovated to be a performance center inside. And we still, we still have the oven that was used to melt the metal and also like some other things because those are um, historically protected. We can't, we're not allowed to touch those or get rid of Got those it. or anything. So it definitely has a really, I'd say a homey feel to it, but it's not what you would expect from a Red Bull Performance Center when you first arrive. Um, with that being said, we definitely do have a lot of tools here, which are really cool. Uh, we have a diagnostics department, which does all our testing. And then we also have some tools in the gym, like force plates, velocity-based training, things like that as well. Um, so, you know, at the Ducks, I was able to have a lot of tools, but here I would say it's probably another step up, especially because Red Bull likes its technology and things like that. So it's definitely a big playground overall. So what other diagnostic equipment do you have there aside from velocity-based training, force plates, and that type of thing? <laughs> so we have, um, they also have their own force plates, which have, which have 3D imaging. Um, they can also put a treadmill over there and do a running analysis. Um, and there's also a force plate in the treadmill. And then the biggest thing, which of course I've always seen in the literature and you see it at universities, but you, you don't really see it at a team setting is they have isomed machines here. And so they can do different isokinetic tests for core and for upper body and for lower body. And so that's something that's pretty unique compared to the places I've been to before. Wow. Well, I mean, do you get to play with that or is it more the, the physios? No, that are... no, they're actually, they're really good about letting us do um, our own tests if we'd like. It's good. I think it's great for us to also experience to see what the athlete goes through as well. Um, but they let us, we also have a whole conditioning diagnostics where we have a treadmill and a bike where you can do VO2 max tests and things like that. And so yeah, we're definitely able to do the tests. Um, when there's free time, obviously when we're swamped, they don't really <laughs> prefer it, but um, when we're not too busy, it's, you know, it's good practice for them and it's also good for us to experience. Okay, so you had four clients come in today. What's the length of time that you spend with each of them, each of the athletes? Yeah, so we changed that recently. It used to be 90 minutes, um, but now we shorten it to about 75 minutes. Um, it's mostly one-on-one -on -one sessions, maybe a one-on-two uh, with the two soccer players. It was uh, me and the two soccer players today. So for the most part, it's one-on-one. -on -one. And in that time, we can definitely get a good workout in. And, and uh, what was the purpose of shortening it from 90 to 75? Yeah, it's just various reasons because they have all the other departments here, as I mentioned. So in a typical uh, day, um, I guess if I give you the rundown, I told you when you arrive, you get your team. Uh, mm -hmm. as an athlete but what a typical what your first day would look like is you come in and you actually get a tour of the facility first just so you know where everything is then you actually go to the laboratory we have a lab here on site where they can do blood work and um, that's your the first thing you do so we do a whole wow. blood marker panel then you see one of our doctors we also have doctors in house which has been a really I mean I've, I've had those in team sport too but it's definitely nice having that extra piece of medical information after you go to the doctors, you go over to the physical therapist where you do an orthopedic check. And then you would come over. I mean, it might change a little bit based on the athlete, but roughly you would come do some training. And then I said, you would also have a nutrition session, a mental performance session. And then of course, any um, diagnostics testing that we would do, which with the athlete. That's a whole day. Yeah. So this is why we shorten the sessions a little bit. Wow. But that's got to be phenomenal. Yeah, talk about getting so much information from so many sources and actually be under one roof as a team approach. You, you don't see that. I, I, don't, no. I don't know of any other place that does it. No, I mean, to this extent, no. Um, I, I pick the, the brains from the guys at the UFC Performance Institute a lot because they're, I would say, probably closest to what we do. Um, but I think we actually have probably even a bit more um, departments than they do. Uh, with our lab and with our doctors and things like that. But I definitely try to pick those, their brains, because I think it's the most similar compared to the other places that we know. And not to put Red Bull on the spot, but do you have a, an infrastructure where all of these facets can, can communicate within the, the profile of your client? Like you add your notes 
to, and then the doctor come in, comes in the mental performance coach and so on. Mm -hmm. Like, so you can draw up all this information on that, on that athlete. Yeah. So of course, Red Bull being Red Bull, they created their own AMS. (laughs) Wow. Um, So we have our own athlete management software in-house that they've created. (laughs) And so, as you said, all of our trainings, all of our notes from medical, from physio, from testing, all that goes into one place. Um, and then to take it a step further, when the athlete leaves, they, we actually have a report talk with them and they will receive a booklet. It's not too big. It's pretty much all the info from their stay. And so pretty much everything that we have online, we print out and then give to the athlete and go over it with them. And then they can take that home. We're going to take a quick break from the action because I want to tell you a course that's coming up in September on the 23rd back in New England in Needham, Massachusetts at Physio X Physical Therapy. I will be doing a one-day workshop all about exploring foot wedges and how by placing little inclined planes under the surface of your foot can affect an entire chain reaction for efficient movement all the way up through your athletes and clients alike. So if you'd like more information, go to my website, rockysnyder.com, go under events and workshops, and you'll find this one-day event, September 23rd, there. Now, if you can't get there, you still want the information, there is an online course that you can get CEUs for, and you just go to the same website, rockysnyder.com, and check it out. Now, back to the conversation. Wow. Okay, so aside for you're in Salzburg, is that correct? Yeah. Aside from that location, are there other locations around the world similar to yours with that Red Bull has? So there's a location in Santa Monica in California. Um, It's not to the extent as we have here. So they have uh, physical therapists, strength conditioning, nutrition, and mental performance and testing, but they don't have the laboratory and the doctors like we do here. Got it. So those two are the locations? Those two are the locations, and then they have um, their soccer teams around the world, which also have academies. So there is a soccer team in Leipzig, Germany, with a pro team and an academy. Same thing in Salzburg, New York, and in Bragatino, Brazil. And how many of those uh, football slash soccer players do you have coming through Salzburg? So we get all of the complicated rehabs. Nice! Oh, (laughs) tell me um, more. Oh my yeah, gosh, so, this is like a total dream. I you're you're living something that I I would just be giddy about. That's we don't awesome. get as many we don't get as many New York players. Uh we get some Leipzig players. We get most Salzburg players because they're, you know, right here next to us. Um and so what'll happen is if it's a, something like a major injury, let's say an ACL, they'll actually send the player here because we have the cap capacity and the time for them compared to I mean, you know, in the team sport setting like they can do it, but it's, you know, they're also caring about the guys with short-term injuries and just general practice every day. And so we just have a lot more time and space for them. And so they'll, um, they'll send those guys here and they'll do most of their rehab here and to a certain point. And then we send them back and they start doing um, pitch progressions and things like that. Do you also have living quarters for the athletes there, or do you just connect with the local hotels or B&Bs? Yeah. So for the athletes that come, I mean, the soccer players, they already live here or they're staying at the Academy, but for the regular Red Bull athletes, we have deals in place with the hotels in town. And so they can stay at those hotels. Man, what an operation. So, wow. Okay. Um, what, what were your growing pains moving into something like what you've just described and going from NHL, HL or, or anywhere, the, all your background, and then you land in here. Yeah, what was it like? I'd say one of the hardest ones was only having an athlete for a short period of time. Um, with the rehabs, as I mentioned, like I might have them for a year, right? And that's nice because you have that continuity and you, you see them every day and you can really make a good plan and progression. Sometimes we'll get athletes that just come for a week and then you might not see, see them again for another year. And so that was a bit tricky for me coming from hockey where you see the athlete most of the year and then they go to their coach in the summer. Uh, Whereas here, it's kind of the opposite. They only come here um, for a shorter amount of time. And so pretty much what it turns into is you can only do so much in that amount of time. 
And so it's more of giving them the proper tools to take home with them instead of trying to make a huge change in a week. For sure. And so most of these extreme athletes are going to have their own trainers wherever they are, are living. And it, so, yeah, no. Well, it really depends on the sport. So I mean, you can finish your question and then we can. Well, how much do you communicate with their trainers? The, the ones that have them. Yeah. So the, usually when it comes into play the most is with rehabs, actually. Um, say we have a skier with an ACL rehab and they might come for say two to four weeks with us. And then they have a exit meeting, I guess, with us before they leave. And usually their physical therapist and coach will also join the call just so we can all be on the same page, give an update of what's happened here, where they're currently at. We don't tell them this is what you need to do going forward. You know, we leave that in their hands, but we just give from our side what we've done so far, what our recommendations are moving forward. So then the athlete will usually go home for about two to four weeks and then they'll come back here again, mainly because we just, they, we can do a lot more testing here. Um, and so it's, that's a big part of it. And also the service here is, as you, I told you before, it's like every day, you know, you have a whole team with you. Whereas at home, you might only get therapy two or three times a week, you know, depending on your situation. Um, and then also with my decathlete today, because in track and field, a lot of them have their own coaches. So he actually joined me in the gym today, uh, which was great because we, you know, programmed together and talked about his plan for the day. Uh, so it really just depends on the athlete, but a lot of the extreme sports athletes don't really have a team. Um, you know, someone like a kite surfer, he's not going to have a whole team around him. And so we don't do too much work remotely um, just because it'd be a bit difficult with the athletes that I already have here, plus all the athletes that are traveling around the world competing. Um, if there's, if they do really need a program, say an at-home program, I can write them one, but to constantly keep checking in is a bit difficult with me already having a, a full-time job here at the same time. Got it. Now, okay. So within the spectrum of rehab, return to performance, strength, conditioning, where, where are you laying on the spectrum? Obviously, strength conditioning is, is a big part of it, but how well do you mesh with the physios there? And, and when, when does the baton get passed over or are you both holding the baton at the same time through the entire process? I'd say we're both holding it. Um, I mean, there's constant check-ins. You know, there's, as we call it, we don't want to double dip. So if the PT is doing the return to jumping and jumping progression, then obviously I'm going to stay away from it. Um, but it also depends on that. We have, we have so many nationalities here. So there's a lot of different philosophies and way people work. And so you have to know who you're working with. So sometimes I might have a physical therapist who does more on the table, more manual therapy, and they're amazing at it, but they don't really go in the gym. And so it's like, if I know I'm working with that physical therapist, then I pick up some of the things in the gym, but you might have another physical therapist who is in the gym. They love being in the gym with the athlete and they'll do most of those exercises. And then that gives me more of an opportunity to focus on the strength and conditioning piece of it specifically. Um, so it does depend which physical therapist I'm working with, but I'd say for the most part, we're definitely in constant communication. I would say holding that baton together and going through the process as a team. So do you have manual therapists or well, or do you just rely on the physios to do the manual work? Yeah. The latter. Okay. And yeah. how many physios are on staff there? Um, so we're in a bit of a hiring process right now, but usually there's eight physios on staff. And how many strength coaches? Uh, there's one head strength coach, which is my boss. And then there's four of us. So five in total. Wow. And you, is this a seven day a week operation where you're on for five days, you get a weekend and you come back on, or how does it work for your schedule? It's that's another big change from the team sport is it's Monday through Friday, eight to five, which is a lot different than all the travel and things that I was used to before. Um, you do. God, that's gotta be so strange. You actually have free time. Yeah. <laughs> and you, wow. um, we work one Saturday every two months. Um, but it's just, Austrian laws are funny too. I mean, they're very worker friendly. So if you do work a Saturday, then that means you get a day off during the week later because you worked on Saturday. Wow. 
So it's, yeah, it's pretty worker friendly for sure. Wow. All right. So you guys are basically closed on Sundays. Yeah. And, and mainly operations are Monday through Friday, but Saturdays also, cause you, you, okay. So there's five of you. Well, that would make sense that you just rotate uh, one Saturday every five weeks. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah, and some of the, some of our diagnostics will step in for some of those Saturdays as well. Um, so it's not nice. just us coaches, but on Saturdays they it's only um, rehab and some training on Saturdays. So there's not the full nutrition, mental performance, all of that. Um, it's more it's very limited. Usually just on the morning on Saturdays. And you say diagnostics? Are we talking sports scientists? Or are we talking medical yeah. diagnostics? Sports scientists. Uh, sports science. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they're the ones that are mainly dealing with the force plates and the treadmill and, and all that. Isomeds and all that. Yeah. And they do all of our, um, they do all of our processing as well, like script and all of those things. Okay. Well, you recall your time with, with the ducks and there would be regular meetings with everybody. Everybody yeah. would be pulled in you'd have your kind of, I won't say case studies, but looking at all your athletes, do you do the same thing there? And if so, how frequently? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, this is always a work in progress too, you know, no one loves a whole bunch of meetings. No. <laughs> so it's always a work in progress at this point. Now we have on Tuesday mornings, we have a medical rehab meeting and that's where all the athlete facing staff, as we call it, um, will the one that the staff that sees the athletes will go through each, um, rehab athlete kind of what their injury is, where they're currently at, what the goal is for the athlete. Um, that will be on Tuesday mornings. And then on Thursday mornings, that's more of a whole facility um, kind of organizational plan for the following week. This is also where we present on new athletes that are coming in. Uh, we have each athlete has a lead. And so I told you about that team. Well, there's one person that leads that team and it can be from any department. It's kind of whatever... If an athlete comes for a mental performance reason, then the mental performance practitioner will be the lead for that athlete. And they're responsible for getting the team together. We also have an initial um, team meeting, which we call a lead meeting about the athlete. And so that's where each person working with the athlete will show up and kind of just say what the goal is from each department. And, you know, there's it's very valuable at times too, where if maybe the athlete wants to gain weight you know, gain muscle. Well, it's important for me to know from the programming side, but also for our nutritionists to know. Um, and so we'll have these lead meetings for individual athletes. So to answer your question, we have Tuesday rehab medical meeting. Thursday is more of an organizational who's coming in meeting. And then we have the lead meetings with smaller groups for the specific athlete. And you've got a variety of turnover. Like, like you say, you've got the local athletes that are going to be there just continually training maybe for the year. Uh, and some of the more acute issues will be there with you for a while doing their rehab return to performance. But then you've got, you've got men and women that are coming in there for a week at a time. Like how frequently do those weekly athletes come in? Is, is that just a continual basis where you're going to have your long-term people shall we say and then you've got uh, you've got these that are just dropping in for a week and working with them yeah yeah it's really there's no there's really no rhyme or rhythm with it it's kind of it's, some weeks are going to be a lot busier than other weeks um, it really just depends on yeah I mean like I told you before we went on air there's no off season or in season really um, yeah. So it's hard to predict when the busy season is going to be. Usually summer tends to be quite busy, but then at the same time, you have all the summer athletes, like they're not here right now because they're competing. So then winter can get busy because then that's their off season. So there's really no busy or not busy time for us. Okay. Sports you're not familiar with. We've already covered a little of this, like uh, obstacle, uh, professional obstacle course athlete yeah. but there's got to be others i mean i don't think you're are you familiar with cricket and how many cricket players come by your shop yeah no i'm not familiar with cricket we did have um one or two that came by i didn't work with them um, that's the other thing like i'm not gonna you know because there's five coaches so you don't work with every athlete that comes through um but there's definitely yeah as you said there's definitely other sports that um like the even something like windsurfing and kite surfing for example yeah, like, sure. I know what they are, but I've never trained that before or worked so with an athlete from that sport. Take me through that. Uh, you hit me at surfing, obviously. 
So yeah. take me through that. What do you what do you do in terms of breaking down a needs analysis and designing a program for that person? Yeah, I mean, I touched on it a little bit before with like watching the media footage we have of them and looking at the sport. Um, in terms of research, uh, it's a bit tough on some of these sports because there's just not much out there. So you, a lot of times you try to find it, find another sport that's comparable that maybe there is more research on. Like you just mentioned surfing. You know, surfing was actually the original sport out of all the out of windsurfing and kite surfing. So maybe there was some info on surfing or maybe wakeboarding. Um, and then you can even, of course, it is different, but maybe skateboarding can give you some information as well. Um, yeah. So looking at research, like you definitely have to broaden your horizon a bit compared to just hockey players. And there's a lot of research on adductors and specific things you want to look at with hockey players. Sure. Uh, so for us, it definitely, you have to broaden your horizon a little bit and think outside the box. Um, and then the, the goals of the athlete are also very important, right? And so I think that's why I mentioned before is bringing the athlete in and just saying what their goals are and what I, with my windsurfer you know I really asked like I had an idea of what muscles and actions are involved but I wanted to make sure like hey which muscles do you feel and that and I was like perfect you exercises you know that can help help you with that um, and so that's a big thing is just really leaning on the athletes so it seems like you could very well be a ground zero for research because there's such limited amount with the non-mainstream sports so mm -hmm. and you're you're somewhat set up for it the only caveat is that you can't do long-term studies aside from right. the the locals that live there so um is is there a potential there have you guys been within the red bull organization your team there have you been considering how can you do research with these players yeah, so uh, I talked about our sports science department, and they do testing. Uh, when with the we have a like baseline of tests that we do with most of the athletes, like the endurance test, for example. And um, when the athlete receives that report, they'll see normative data on it, and we've broken it down in a couple of different ways. Like obviously, you have all Red Bull athletes in general, but that can be a bit skewed because you have ultra marathon runners, and then you have a half pipe skier. So it goes a bit deeper where they've um, split it up more into maybe water sports or snow sports, um, maybe even deeper into board sports. And so it's not really my field exact that we're doing. It's more of the sports science department here that's working on that. But we are trying to come up with normative data on the tests that we do and kind of see if there's any correlations there. Very cool. And when it comes to um, categorizing athletes, I, I guess that's where you can simplify things relatively easily. Like there's, there's certain movements that everyone should be able to achieve regardless of their sport. So you start mm -hmm. with core ingredients, uh, your core lifts, and then you branch out there when we're, when we're talking about resistance training. Uh, I imagine the same holds true with mobility. You know, do we, we have a great deal of mobility through the hips, the T-spine, the ankles, you know, the big buckets, so to speak. But then there's the fine tuning, right? This is this is really yeah. nitty gritty, and and uh, I can see you just like an artist with a canvas, and you're just trying to paint a, a really nice uh, landscape with each athlete. Where what uh, I guess where do your strengths lie when it comes to that? When it comes to creative uh, process and, and creating the design, and where are you going? Okay, I need to. I need to learn a little bit more about this aspect. You know, mm -hmm. if I, not that this is a job interview, but what are your strengths and weaknesses? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's definitely a good point. And I, my boss has done a great job of, he kind of sees us all as T-shaped employees, meaning we have a specialty, but in reality, we can do everything. But our team is actually broken up quite well. We have a coworker of mine. He's really good at the conditioning side of things. He used to work in biathlon, cross-country skiing, and if I ever have, I've learned a ton from him already. And so if I ever have any conditioning questions, I always go to him and, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll write a program and run it by him and say, Hey, what do you think about this? You know, this program that I wrote, because that's more of his specialty, right? Whereas he's not as strong as in the strength side of things, which I can step in and give him some tips and tricks in that regard. 
And then I have another coworker. She's really good with rehabs and return to play. She's worked with a lot of um, injured athletes in the past before she was here and also here. And so ideally, if we have a rehab, it would go to her, but we have, sometimes we have a lot of rehabs. And so we also take over rehabs. And if that's the case, then, you know, I'll run things by her as well and say, Hey, what do you think about this? And so it's really nice having this where we each kind of have our specialty, but of course we can do everything, you know? And, um, I think he did a good job of bringing a team together like that, where we can definitely learn from each other and bounce ideas off of each other. Yeah. And I get a sense that the, your boss is just not going to place a specific athlete with one of you whose strength happens to be in conditioning or return to play or strength. In fact, trying to, or, you know, the tide raises all, all ships or all boats. Yeah. So uh, giving you someone who needs conditioning uh, brings more knowledge and experience your way. So you are honing your craft a little bit better compared to, oh, I'm only going to give you the guys that really need strength development more yeah. than anything else. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's, there's no, there's no set way we give athletes to coaches. Um, one, it comes down to capacity. So if I'm full, then the athlete's going to go to someone else or vice versa. Uh, sometimes we do like, because I'm Swiss, if there's Swiss athletes that come in, we like to pair them up with me, um, you know, just for that nationality connection there. Um, or if, for example, if there's a hockey player, a basketball player, things that I have more experience in, then we also might go that way. But as I said, that's not, that can't always happen like that. Um, and the other coaches are great. And so, you know, if I can't do it, then another coach can step in no problem and do it as well, or vice versa. If we have a coach that has more experience in, skiing but they're at capacity then i can take over skiing as well um so it works really well but there's no exact way that we um give athletes to the coaches and what's what uh feeds your mojo what what feeds the, your fire when you're there and and yeah what what activities or responsibilities do you do you find like oh man this is this was a good day I mean, the ones that are the best is I haven't had too many recently. I mean, I was also gone for a while, but what's really nice sometimes is, you know, you do your typical strength conditioning job in the morning, uh, you're in the gym working with the athletes, but then with some of the athletes in the afternoon, we get to actually go out and watch their sport. So maybe if there's a windsurfer, we, you know, we have all these lakes here and we'll go out to the lake with him and watch him do some windsurfing or with the mountain bikers as well. You know, and, and a lot of these cases are usually where they're rehabs and they're returning to sport. Um, and so we come up with, that's another thing where we lean on the athlete is again, for hockey, we have a pretty good idea of what a return to hockey return to skating progression might look like for a sport like windsurfing, you know, I'm not going to lie. We don't have a great idea of what, what it should be like. So we bring the athlete in and say, what does a return to surfing progression look like to you? know what are different levels of tricks and of abilities and things like that that you know we can build into a progression and so with some of the sports as i mentioned that we can do here it's cool to see go with them in the afternoon and watch them do that and kind of just have a outside view of it and do you have anything on the property there like an empty swimming pool for your skateboarders or a half pipe or or a trampoline where you can do a, a lot of uh, aerials or anything like that no, not specifically here. We do have, um, Salzburg's full of them. They have like pump tracks or skate parks. Um, yeah. you know, there's a lot in the winter, it's obviously a bit more difficult because we have snow. <laughs> uh, but in, you know, in the summer, we can definitely go in a lot of places in Salzburg. And, uh, even if we've had triathletes in the past and we'll go to, there's an Olympic center here in Salzburg and they have a pool and everything there. Um, and so it depends on the athlete and the situation, but we definitely, we don't have our own, but we have options where we can go to. And what are some of your, uh, how would I say it? Like not your detours, but what are, do you have any blocks, things that kind of present issues to progress with these athletes, whether it's a, maybe it's a, a, just a language barrier, or mm -hmm. maybe it's more their overseeing organization um, has some, some limitations that you are, you know, are bound by. Yeah. Do you have anything like that? I think languages were pretty lucky. Um, one thing that has come up a couple of times is, you know, when you're a soccer player, basketball player, if you're not 
if you're injured, you're still getting paid, right? You're under contract. A lot of these athletes, if they're not competing, they're not getting paid. And so they really want to try to make it back as fast as possible. I had a dirt bike rider one time who had an ACL injury and he pretty much told us he's going to race on this date, which was way too early in our opinion from where, you know, when he should return. Um, but he told us he's doing it. And so I looked at it as like, okay, well, I need to, I would, I progressed him in the gym a lot faster than I normally would. But I was like, if he's going to go out there, I need to do what I can with what he's capable of at this point, you know, to prepare him as best I can. Cause he's going no matter what. Um, we of course try to talk to him about it and say, Hey, ideally, you know, it would take this and this long. Like we should take a look at your progress over time, but some of them are just, they're going to do it. Um, the dirt bikers tend to be the craziest in a way I would say they're very just this is what I'm doing and that's it um and to be fair it ended up working out quite well like he podiums quite a few times since then and he hasn't had any issues um which I mean that can lead into a whole other topic about when we should actually return to sport but right I'd say that's the that's the that's probably the biggest challenge is holding some of these athletes back and on the other hand you do have some athletes where they really are okay holding back until they're 100 ready um, I had a skier and she had an injury and she came back too soon the first time. And so now she's, she got injured again. And she said, I'm not going back until I'm hundred percent ready um, based off her previous experience. So it really depends, but I would say that's the biggest challenge was, is holding some of these athletes back. Yeah. And where would you guys be on that kind of spectrum between uh, conservative and aggressive when it comes to giving them the green light to return obviously with the dirt biker it was you had to be somewhat aggressive because of his demands but typically are are you guys more conservative on end of the spectrum or where do you lay it's hard to it's hard to say i mean you know when you're doing it yourself it's hard to say if you're being conservative or not i think we've had one athlete and she went back home to her physical therapy clinic. And it turned out they were way more conservative than we were. <laughs> ah. um, so I think, I mean, that's one athlete, but I think, you know, we do try to push the envelope as you know, to a certain extent with what we know is okay. Um, yeah. but it's tough to say if, you know, if we're conservative or not, I don't know. I think it depends on the situation, which is the typical S and C answer. It depends. <laughs> uh, sure. But I think, we, I think we do try to uh, push as much as we can. Well, I could I could see that because the 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 degree or the nature of your athletes uh, tends to be more adventurous and extreme, willing to take a heck of a lot more risks than than the average athlete. So it it just would make a lot more sense. It's like okay, let's let's get you where you need to be, and then they say, yeah, that's that's good enough. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, so. Just a little side note, family matters. You know, when we were in Vegas, you were telling me that your mom moved to the West Coast of the U.S. when you were out in Anaheim, and then you got this job in Salzburg, and she was left all by herself, but then decided, no, I'm, I'm moving back because the whole family's back in Europe. How does it yeah. feel to, to have family nearby because you were somewhat removed from it? It must be yeah. nice to be back in your homeland, so to speak. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, that's so my mom and I moved to California when I was five originally. And, you know, we've pretty much been there ever since. Um, and when this came up, and I came back, she was like, well, what am I doing here now that you're there and everybody else is already over, like have been there. And so she decided to move back as well. And she loves it. And I've really, you know, I haven't seen my dad that much before I would see him once a year, you know, during mm. summer vacation. And I really built a better relationship with him since I've been here, because I you know, it's a five hour drive. So I'm able to see them a lot more. So from that standpoint, it's great seeing family. Also, the grandparents are getting older. Um, so being around them more, the flip side of it is all my friends are in California. <laughs> so that's been a bit of a challenge. That's why it was really nice being home these past. Well, I don't know where home is anymore, to be honest. <laughs> but uh, I was back in California for these last three weeks. And so it was great catching up with all of them and seeing them again. But that is the challenge now where it's I'm closer with family, but now the friends are over there. Right on. Okay. This time has flown by like it always does when you get into something you really love talking about. If people want to follow your exploits with Red Bull and Salzburg, what's the best way to do that? Yeah. Um, I'm 
mostly on Instagram, I would say the most. Um, it's just Christoph Wies, my name. I actually got lucky and was able to jump nice. jump on it and just get my normal name. Um, and I also, I mean, selfish plug here, but I'm also running my own little podcast. Um, oh. called the, yeah. It's called the World of Sports Performance Podcast. And I have some great guests on uh, almost 30 episodes now, but it's mainly about, ironically, people working in different countries and the experiences they've had um, working in the different cultures and, you know, different languages. And I've had guests from literally all over the world at this point. And it's been a really, you know, a lot of cool stories from what people have experienced. And so that's a little fun side project there. And tell us the name of the podcast one more time. I'll make sure the link is in the description below. Yeah, it's the World of Sports Performance podcast. Nice. And so that's it's on Spotify and Apple, and there's also um, on Instagram. But yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. And actually, I did it shortly after we did our first podcast. Um, kind of at my the end of my tenure at the Ducks is when it started. But it's it's been really great. And it, I thought it was, you know, there's already so many great podcasts out there, especially from ours, like yours and pacey performance and all these other podcasts so like i was trying to think what's a little bit different and so i yeah. thought um, you know working in these different countries it has some pretty cool stories so that's a great idea you bring one out uh, monthly or weekly or whenever you get a guest yeah you know, i tried to do it bi-weekly and it kind of got the best of me i don't know if you know you run your own podcast, <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. Um, yeah that was that kind of got the best of me and then i took a break and so now we're doing it monthly and that's been a lot easier to manage excellent Oh, that's so cool to hear. All right. Well, Christoph, this has been so much fun. I really appreciate it giving us a, a little inside look at what the extreme athletes in Red Bull are, are, are doing and who they're seeing. So this has been great. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I'm, thanks for having me on again. And, you know, it's a lot different conversation this time, but uh, it was great being able to tell you what we do. And if you're ever in Salzburg, doors always open. Oh, there's, there's an invite I won't pass up. And that's a wrap for this episode of the Zealous Podcast. Christoph, man, thank you so much for coming on. And thank you, Red Bull, for allowing us to have this episode and kind of get a sense of what's going on in the world of extreme sports. Next week, be sure to tune in when we have Tomasz Kellerman, another strength coach for extreme athletes. But this time, it's Cirque du Soleil in Vegas. We'll see you next week.